Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry designed for you to fail. Hey, Huns. Happy fifth day of nine days of holiday magic. I have a little story for you. Uh, It is a fraud story, and it actually has a little bit of a personal connection, oddly enough, but I heard about this story because it was left as a comment uh, on on one of my posts. And this is the story of the fruitcake fraud. I'm telling this because it's fruitcake and it's Christmas and people eat fruitcake at Christmas for some reason. I don't know. But this is the story of the fruitcake fraud. And there actually is a mini documentary on Discovery Plus that came out on December 1st. If you want even more information on this, uh, you can you can go watch that. This story uh, is about the Collins Street Bakery. And it's in Corsicana, Texas. The Collins Street Bakery was founded in 1896 by August Wiedermann, who was an immigrant from Wiesbaden, Germany. Uh, And back then, like back in the day, this bakery was like the hotspot. And a lot of different celebrities would come in. They would leave like handwritten notes and they would frame them and put them on the wall. It was like a big thing. Will Rogers came by, which was a big deal. And then once the Ringling Brothers came through and they ordered dozens and dozens of fruitcakes as gifts, and that's what started this craze. So the Collins Street fruitcake is world famous, and they use the same exact recipe today that they used in 1896. If you go on their website, you can get a basic fruitcake starting around 30 bucks. Here's the weird, funny connection to me. In 2015, which was two years after all of this happened, Uh, I was a blogger and I actually was asked by the Collins Street Bakery if I would like a fruitcake or a pie, uh, if I would do a review on my blog. And I was like, "Um, hello, I love pie. I don't like fruitcake. I ended up getting a deep dish Texas pecan pie. It was delicious. I had, uh, it was delicious and I enjoyed it very much. Um, And I worked with Will McNutt, who is, I believe, the son of the owner, Bob. Literally, like these cakes last forever. I don't know what it is about these fruitcakes, but that was the appeal of being able to ship fruitcakes was that they have such a long shelf life that the Collins Street Bakery could ship these worldwide and they would always arrive fresh because, I mean, for real. So in traditional recipes, they would saturate the cake in liqueur and powdered sugar, which is said to prevent mold. And then they would store it in brandy soaked linens and wrap it in these brandy soaked linens to age the fruitcake, which improves the taste. (laughs) Ah, that sounds gross. I'm going to have to trust you on that one. Here's a weird thing. In 2017, there was a fruitcake that was found that was 106 years old, and it was found to be, quote unquote, almost edible and in, quote unquote, excellent condition, 106 years old. So there you go. So when you order a Collins Street fruitcake, this is what you you can come to expect. The Collins Street fruitcake is loaded with crunchy pecans, hand-picked pineapple, ripe cherries, golden raisins, lush papaya, and all natural honey and contains spices like cinnamon, allspice, nutmeg, etc. It is just, it's very holiday inspired. Like it's, it's just, 
it's just very, it's exactly what you expect. That's, that's, what, that's what's in a fruitcake, if anybody was curious as to what it tastes like. And the Collins Street Bakery actually delivers over 1 million pounds of fruitcake a year. Like it is one of the top U.S. fruitcake bakeries. It's, it's wild, y'all. In February of 1998, Sandy Jenkins is hired on at the Collins Street Bakery. But Sandy's story starts... A long time before that. Growing up, Sandy was a quiet kid who enjoyed the finer things in life, and he started collecting watches at the age of 12. He was voted most fashionable three years in a row at his high school. Um, he always wanted to be a funeral director, but his dad discouraged him from it, saying that he was too shy. I don't understand uh, why a funeral director really needs to be super outgoing, but whatever. Sandy starts going to college at Dallas Baptist University. And in 1971, he ends up marrying his college sweetheart, Kay Nickel, who was a niece of a family friend. They met because Sandy was her carpool to school. The Jenkinses moved to Corsicana, Texas in 1988. They joined a local church and Sandy became the deacon and Kay started a catering business. I mean, they were really just very basic, normal, everyday, average people regular old Joes living next door. Nothing out of the ordinary. Unfortunately, in 1995, Sandy loses his job. And in 1998, he is diagnosed with manic depressive disorder and he's medicated. Shortly after that, he starts working at the College Street Bakery. He starts out in accounts payable as a payroll supervisor. He's making about $25,000 a year. The first odd thing is Sandy buys himself a $1,000 antique desk with company money and he puts it in his office. <laughs> okay. Um, two years later in the year 2000, Sandy was promoted to corporate controller. So he is heading the accounting department for Collins Street Bakery. By 2004, Sandy is feeling overworked and underpaid. He feels like he's doing the work of three jobs uh, but he's not being paid fairly for it. And on a whim, he dips into the petty cash. And surprisingly enough, he doesn't get caught. He ends up trading in his previous car for a newer gold Lexus, and he decides to hatch a plan. When his wife asked him where the new Lexus came from, he lied, and he told his wife that the car was a gift from a client. The following month, on January 25th, 2005, Sandy's credit card payment was due, uh, and he didn't have the money. Sandy decides to write a fraudulent $20,000 check from Collins Street Bakery to pay off his credit card. So he writes a $20,000 check, voids it in the system, and then creates a $20,000 invoice so there would be a discrepancy in the till, basically. <laughs> Once Sandy knew that he could do this and nobody noticed, he did it again and again and again. The same exact scheme, a fraudulent check, and then one that looked legit to replace it. So before long, Sandy and Kay are spending upwards of $98,000 on their credit card a month and then paying it off with these bakery checks that Sandy is doing. They remodeled their kitchen. They added a Viking range, cooling and warming drawers, granite countertops. They threw elaborate parties with $100 bottles of wine. They were eating steak and veal. They were having champagne brunches. They installed a wine cellar. Uh, and Sandy starts bringing his own wine to local restaurants because the house wine just does not agree with Sandy's palate anymore. He is so refined now. 
when they told him how sharp he was dressed, he told his employees that his Armani and Hermes shirts and his Salvatore Ferragamo and Gucci shoes were from Walmart. Uh, In December of 2006, Sandy bought five Rolexes, totaling $52,000, which was his annual salary at the time. He had a personal shopper at Neiman Marcus who called him Fruitcake and K Cupcake. And this personal shopper literally ran out of things to sell them. So then Sandy gets really deep in the suspension of disbelief with his scam, right? And he starts daydreaming. Through stealing money at his job, his desires became attainable. And oddly, and like, I mean, he just flaunted his wealth. Like, it is so insane how much he flaunted his money. He would have jewelers come to the bakery and show him diamonds in his office with armed guards around him because these diamonds and these jewels were worth so much. On a trip to Santa Fe, he bought a $658,000 four-bedroom home and he invited his friends to come visit and he would fly them in a private jet. They went to Aspen, Napa, Martha's Vineyard, 43 private flights in the first year alone, totaling more than $500,000. When people started becoming suspicious, Kay and Sandy would lie. They said that they inherited the money and all of the luxury cars that Sandy had were because Sandy was a car trader. And so he was flipping cars for profit. They had Lexus, BMWs, Mercedes. It's, it's wild the amount of cars that they had. And, and those that didn't believe that they had that kind of money, he told people that they were loans from wealthy friends and that he had a cousin who would let him borrow his fancy cars and his jets. Kay knew that these were lies, but Sandy told her that the money was from a wealthy family that was helping him with contract work. And he also told Kay, if I die, the money will stop. A friend asked Kay about her $250,000 diamond ring that she was wearing. And she told the friend that that had been her engagement ring. And the friend thought that was odd because Kay had actually catered her daughter's wedding. All right. So now we meet Bob McNutt and Bob McNutt is the owner of the Collins Street Bakery. He was looking at his numbers and he could not figure out why the bakery wasn't making more money. They were incredibly busy, busier than they had ever been, but their profit was not going up at all. He examined the expenses, the labor, the price of ingredients, the inventory, and he audited payroll, but they found nothing. And that's because Sandy would time it. He would write checks when big orders were being placed, so it was easier to hide the fraud. He did almost get caught, though. There was a subsidiary company of Collins Street Bakery that he was also creating fake checks to. And he, for some reason, did a a check for $23,000 in postage. And the woman that ran that department was like, this can't be right. I barely mail anything. And so she showed Sandy and he was like, oh, crap. And he fixed it and he was like, okay, that's no problem. I can handle this. It was just a weird accounting error. And then things continued as normal. Sandy then started doing more weird things. He started bragging to the owner about all of his cars and his plane. He would make snide comments to employees about money and about Bob. Kay once asked a socialite at a party, do people ever ask you where your money comes from? And that person said that that was like the weirdest question she had ever heard. And she just sort of like smiled awkwardly and just walked away. On another occasion, Kay asked a different socialite, 
how much does someone need to fit into Corsicana society? Over the years, and Sandy was successfully able to embezzle money from the Collins Street Bakery for almost 10 years. Over the years, Sandy would get Manny Petty's hair relaxer treatments to make his hair smooth, a $7,200 cell phone, $40,000 horsehair mattress, a $58,000 Steinway. Kay got a Van Cleef and Arpels necklace to one up the one that Bob's wife had worn at a party earlier. They only ate and drank the finest things like Dom, Cristal, Petrosian caviar, like insane. They joined very exclusive Corsicana clubs like the book club, the wine club, and the country club. And then Sandy decided to get into philanthropy. He loved to give to the arts, theaters, operas. He gave to education. Oftentimes he would outspend Bob at these auctions, which is crazy because he was literally spending Bob's money. On Thursday, June 20th in 2013, Symmetric Walker, who was a new hire in the company, noticed a check that she didn't recognize to Capital One. She knew that the company did not have any accounts with Capital One. So she went to Sandy and she asked him. He tried to remain calm and he told her that he would fix it, but she sensed his panic and decided to dig further. She found 11 discrepancies to the sum of over $400,000 very quickly, and she took the news to the executive team. It looks like we found Sandy Jenkins embezzling money. And Bob McNutt says, well, that explains a lot. So the next day, Sandy comes to work and he is confronted by the executive team and they show him the checks and they say, tell us what these are. And Sandy goes, I don't know. And they say, did you write these checks? And Sandy says, I write checks for the bakery. Sandy is fired. Within hours, Sandy knows that his keys, locks, and cards were all going to be changed. So he goes into panic mode. Once they start digging into what Sandy did, they find that Sandy stole from the company over 900 times. Over $114,000 in cash and $16,649,786.91 in checks. I know, it's crazy. It's almost $17 million. Almost $17 million in the span of 10 years he stole. So he runs home because he knows he's now is going to have to hide these assets that he has. And he starts throwing watches, jewelry, gold bars, whatever he can find in trash bags. And then he takes them down to Austin and he hides them in his daughter's safe at her home. And then Sandy and Kay flee to their Santa Fe house. A little more than a month later, on July 24th, 2013, the FBI pulls up to the Jenkins house and the entire town comes to watch. Uh, And the tow truck comes for the 2010 Mercedes, the 2005 Lexus, the 2013 GMC Yukon Denali, and the 2013 BMW. They had over $2 million in furs, over $50,000 in wine, two huge Louis Vuitton steamer trunks, which are $68,000 each. He decides to go to Austin and grab his stash. He puts it all in an insulated Whole Foods bag and he drives to Lady Bird Lake which is a reservoir basin on the Colorado River that is 468 acres big. And it was created as a cooling pool for a power plant. And he begins scattering his treasure around like a little goblin, putting it behind trees, in bushes, behind rocks. And then he tossed the rest into the lake. $20,000 watches just tossed him into the lake. And then he picks up Kay and they drive back home to Corsicana. And they find that the changed the locks on their house. So they break in, 
and they lay low. An off-duty police officer in Austin stumbles upon a quarter of a million dollar in treasure just hanging out at Ladybird Lake. And they have a scuba team come to search the lake and they find all kinds of things in the lake uh, that Sandy had stashed. And they, they match the serial numbers on the items to Sandy. On August 12th, the FBI comes knocking. Sandy was indicted on counts of mail fraud, money laundering, and other related offenses. Kay stuck to her story, saying that she didn't know anything. And in March 2014, she was indicted on similar charges. Here are some of the items that were available at the Jenkins' estate sale. A $14,000 gold Dunhill lighter. A Cartier cigarette case. A crystal and silver designer handbags, wallets, luggage, briefcases, Louis Vuitton, Marc Jacobs, Balenciaga, and, and I quote, a frighteningly large Hummel figurine collection. This is my favorite part of the whole thing. Bob McNutt, the owner of the bakery, shows up to the estate sale and he encourages people to spend, spend, spend because, you know, he wants his money back and he brings Collins Street Bakery Trees, and he serves them to the people that are waiting in line. The line is wrapped around the block, and it was so long that it required a security detail. I love that Bob brought snacks. Sandy told the authorities that Kay had no part in this whatsoever, but he also forgot that they had access to his email, and in his email, there was evidence um, that he had sent Kay an email that said, remember, you never knew anything. So in the end, Kay got five years of probation and Sandy got 10 years of confinement. Sandy ended up passing away six years into his 10-year sentence on March 15th, 2019 at the age of 70. That is the story of the fruitcake fraud. I, I wanted to see like how much more stuff there was. Um, I'm going to throw this in the show notes because you guys can check it out. But this is actually the article from the FBI um, over, over the, the 10 years, Sandy purchased 38 vehicles, uh, including mini Lexus automobiles, Mercedes Benz, a Bentley and a Porsche. He purchased a new automobile every time that they needed an oil change, basically. <laughs> oh, basically that's insane. Um, the government further established at sentencing that the Jenkins spent over $11 million on a black American express card alone. And that a significant portion of the stolen funds were spent at Neiman Marcus, about $1.2 million at Neiman Marcus. That's the fruitcake fraud. And I hope you enjoyed it. And now we've got Megan Williams. She's back and we've got some stuff. We've got some sneak peeks. We've got some giveaways. Enjoy this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. I am so excited today because we have a former guest coming back to talk about what she's been up to. And I'm so excited to welcome back to the show, our friend, Megan Williams. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be back. It's it's pretty cool. I'm so happy to have you. You're amazing. Um, If you guys have not heard Megan's episode because you listened to the most recent ones and you have no idea who she is, Megan was uh, on the show back in May and uh, we did a two-part episode about your life and and your life after MLM and I'm having you back here now because we have become such great friends and you're such an integral part of the anti-MLM community now Um, and I'm so excited to have you to talk about what you've been up to since being on the show and everything that's happened Um, anyway let's get into it yay so (laughs) 
for everybody here listening, tell them what you just created. So, um, you know, and, and Roberta talks about it all the time and, and, and obviously like I, I learned it too. One of the things that we, you learn in multi-level marketing is if there's a gap, you should fill it. And one of the things that, you know, is constantly coming up is that there are people leaving groups that are just, they're not sure what to do with the feelings, with the grief process, with all the things and not even really sure what happened, right? You leave and you blink and you're like, oh my God, what happened? So I um, took it upon myself to go ahead and create a self-guided workbook for individuals that are um, looking to leave and aren't entirely sure, and people who have recently left, or even people who've been out for a while and are kind of not understanding why they still have some residual feelings or issues surrounding their participation or thinking that, you know, maybe it would be a great idea for me to get involved with another company because maybe this company is different. Um, and it kind of breaks down all the stuff. It's not meant to substitute for actual therapy for people that have issues like real mental health issues, but it's meant to kind of help bring some of those issues up and see where the work needs to happen. It is incredible. I grabbed myself a copy because I wanted to work through it. Even though I'm out of MLM four plus years, I, I went there, I went to that place and I sat in my bed and I just took the evening and I started working in it until I was like, okay, that's enough. It is really awesome. I'm a huge fan of like self-guided workbooks in general. I have so many different ones. And so for me, I was like, I can't, I'm so excited that there's an MLM fill-in workbook because yes. hello, um, it's called Cutting Ties Healing After MLM. And I'll pop a link in the show notes so that you guys can grab your own copy. Um, Megan, for real, like I'm so impressed with this book and it is, it's been really, I don't want to say it wasn't at all like triggering or traumatic for me. Maybe I'm so far removed out of it that it wasn't. It might be for some people that need to work through these problems and these mm -hmm. issues. But I mean, it really felt nice for me to think back and to really put it a, a name to the feelings that I had and to write it down and to look at it and go, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Well, and like one of the things that I'm really big on is, uh, is understanding that all major transitions in our life are a grief process. And we talk a lot about the feelings of grief. And everybody kind of knows the Kubler-Ross dynamic of anger, acceptance, denial, numbness. Like people know that, but they don't understand how to move through them. So there's an entire chunk of this that's about looking through the grieving process using what's called the tasks of mourning. And I talk about them, I break them down a little bit on my TikTok, um, but like there's these, these specific ways to move through those emotions and understanding that grief is not a linear process. So I might be angry right now and then it will dissipate and I'll have some acceptance and then something will happen like a documentary comes out or somebody pops into my inbox and all of a sudden that anger is there again because grief takes time to process through and sometimes the things that will activate those emotions are things we are very subtle and we don't recognize that they're still an issue um, because you know it, it just is a thing that that happens for us and you know, when we talk about the freedom of leaving and that joy that can come, like there's a lot of mixed bag of emotion in there. 
And then, you know, when we talk about a try, you know, I go into a little bit about trauma in here and the difference between big T traumas and little T traumas and people don't understand, like, just because I experience something on a daily basis and it becomes fairly commonplace, doesn't mean that it's acceptable. If I have an upline that is constantly screaming at me or telling me what I'm doing isn't enough, that's a little T trauma. And it takes chunks of us when it happens every single time. So being able to acknowledge those things, then also understanding that in some of these companies, especially, you know, I've heard some really horrific things coming out of like Beachbody, the overt trauma. And, and obviously some of the people you've had on the show have talked about overt trauma that has happened, like abusive, like terribly abusive things and just horrific things that have come out of it. And that idea that, you know, the fact that people who bear witness to those things have lingering trauma effects too. Like it doesn't even have to have happened to me. It could just have happened around me. I could be on a Zoom call with 20 people and have one person screaming at another one. And witnessing that creates a trauma response in me because I don't want that to happen to me. So my trauma brain, my emotional brain is like, yeah, that's a threat. We don't want that. So let's do what we got to do to make sure that doesn't happen to us. Yeah, I, I absolutely love the distinguishing like between the, the big T and the small T trauma, because yes, and we see it on the show all the time. There's a lot of big T trauma that happens on the show. When people tell their stories, I think of Lori Tedesco, that's oh the first one that comes to mind. I just, when, when I was trauma. listening to her story, I'm like, I really wish she lived in Arizona because I totally would want to do my trauma voodoo treatment on her. Um, cause like, oh my gosh, just to be able to help erase some of that for her would be a massive blessing for me. So, you know, if you're ever in Arizona, you come on over and let me know, like, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let her know. Yeah. Like for real, like that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, you know, and then we talk about some people that like talk to people that were ex Mormon or ex evangelical and leaving and seeing the similarities in their MLM and the same abuses and the same big and little T traumas in both organizations. Um, and yes, you know, for me, I, sometimes I get these comments and I got one the other day. Uh, I made a video about being a survivor. I made just like a TikTok viral trend video about being a survivor. And somebody commented and said, Robert, I love the work that you do, but calling yourself a survivor is a bit of a stretch. Obviously I haven't worked through it because I'm still, it's still in the back of my mind. And I had to educate and say, well, okay. You know, and there were people that came and said, just because her story doesn't look like your story doesn't mean she's any less of a survivor and like, don't invalidate people's experiences and, and put labels on them and say, well, that label you've given yourself doesn't really fit with my narrative. So I'm going to change your label to something that makes me feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then I also let her know in the most compassionate way possible, that that sort of rhetorical messaging is really problematic because other victims will see that and they won't want to speak out and become survivors and they'll stay victims and they'll stay quiet and they might join another MLM and repeat the process and get stuck in that trauma cycle all over again of being in this abusive MLM and being told that it's their fault and blah, 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 blah. Well, I guess I'll just try selling shakes because maybe I can sell shakes better than I can sell lipstick. Mm -hmm. So even that kind of stuff, you guys, when you're commenting and saying things like that, you have to understand that I know that there's people listening to this podcast and watching my content and watching your content as well, Megan, that are in MLMs mm -hmm. that are 
that are listening, that are finally listening to their cognitive dissonance a little bit. And they're going, oh, I'm just going to listen. Maybe something they say, and they slowly, it's the getting, you know, they're, they're coming out of this. Mm-hmm. But when they see comments like that, it doesn't make them want to speak out or share their story or talk about their trauma. And it keeps it internalized. And, and I'm assuming that you know, that just is going to make everything worse in the long run. So even those comments, we have to stay away from those too. We always have to show compassion and empathy toward people because everybody's story is different and you have no idea what people are going through. And what if someone is not stable enough to see that kind of comment and then they make rash decisions based on that comment? And it also looks like this, right? The first thing is, and you're spot on, it's not the pain Olympics. My pain is not greater than your pain. Pain is pain. And how we experience pain, it doesn't matter, right? And the other thing to be mindful of when we talk about this, it's also that idea that people had a story before they joined the multi-level marketing company, right? They had their own vulnerability. And that vulnerability is what made it possible, whatever that looks like, right? Um, Even the people that walk into this with their eyes wide open, knowing exactly what they're doing, they're still victims of the CEOs of these companies, right? Because they're now being put under pressure from the CEOs to perform a certain way and to to present a certain lifestyle. And even though they might make a little more on their commission end, they are still being systematically abused by the system because the only people who really win, quote unquote, win in these scenarios are the executive teams and the owners. Everybody else is screwed. You know, and they're like, well, they don't tell us any of that in the handbook. I'm like, well, of course they don't. Why would they tell you this in the handbook? Like, right. by, the, by the way, Citigroup cut ties with us because they realized they didn't want to be associated with us. <laughs> and at some point, I understand there are people in other countries that are going to need access to these types of things, including Canada. I've had a couple of people in the UK that want to, to buy, you know, Australia, like a lot of these markets. And Amazon is able to make it available and translate it for free for me. So I'm like, let's do that. (laughs) If I learned anything from being in a multi-level marketing company, I don't need stacks of inventory sitting in my house that I cannot sell. And I talk about identity in the book and value systems and what does that mean and helping people get back to the core of who they are. Because I think that's one of the things that, that people forget about is that idea that, you know, I was somebody before this came into my world. Did it change who I am a little bit? Probably, but that core of who I am is still there. And and for those people that are identifying as I'm a good person, so I couldn't possibly have been involved in a scam or have been a scammer. Well, you can still be a good person and do some not so good things. I just posted a bunch of, I mean, when, by the time this comes out, you might have to scroll back, but on Instagram, I posted a bunch of stuff about loaded language Mm -hmm. and coercive language, you know, it, it, it all, right. it all ties in. It's, it's always important to not only be listening to the podcast and the conversations that we're having, but to be following, um, you know, the accounts and to be educating yourself with the slides that we make so that you understand. And it, you know, it all compounds and you learn these terms and you learn how loaded language works and love bombing works and all of these things. And then you can see it all before you can see it coming. You're like, "Mm -mm, I know exactly what this is. This is swarming. Leave me alone. So it's super interesting. After I was on the podcast the last time, it took about a month, but my recruiter 
finally circled back around to me. And I don't, I don't like talking about her a whole lot because, and and I'll explain why once I tell this whole story, Um, because this isn't about her. This is about my journey. And just because she's the one that engaged in those behaviors with me doesn't mean that, you know, she's the only one that does these things, right? So after I started speaking out, I don't know if I mentioned this when I was on with you before, but after I started like doing my YouTube segments and I did this and then um, I had some people start messaging me and they're like, I know exactly who you're talking about. She was the same way with me. Um, never liked her same vibe the whole nine. I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. Thank you for validating me. Wow. Um, because I was like, all right, am I the only one that has felt this way? Probably not. But like, it was really cool to have the amount of people that reached out for me and told me these things. So I'm like, all right, so cool. My, my ability to read people is still on. I can continue doing my job for a living. Uh, (laughs) And so all of a sudden I'm at work. And I'm in a session and her name pops up on my phone and I just go cold. I just go completely cold, like complete fight or flight moment. And I have to continue listening to somebody tell me about their trauma and flip my phone over. And, um, and, and mind you, I had unfriended her, blocked her on all of my social media for a while. Like it, it, she'd been off my stuff for a while and she had no clue. Um, so she left me a voicemail. I'm going to tell you, I did not listen to that voicemail. It was like a minute and a half. And I knew what it was about. I knew exactly what it was about. And I did not listen to it. Um, and then she went on and made a couple of comments on my YouTube videos. I removed the comments and blocked her from my YouTube because she was breaking her own anonymity. And for those of you that haven't listened to my episodes, I got recruited out of um, 12-step recovery. And so I'm protecting her anonymity in this moment. Um, she's telling me that I need to do step work around the whole situation because clearly it's all my fault and I have anger and resentment against her for no reason. Okay. Wow. Um, Yeah. So she then makes this post on her Facebook and she's blocked me at this point. Right. I'm like, I want to go see, I unblocked her and I went to go see and she blocked me and she, and, and I, we have mutual friends who are on her Facebook friends only posts. It's not even public friends only posts about how I made a YouTube all about her. And that, you know, I was talking all this crap about her and her, her first instinct is to reach out to all of our mutual friends and tell them how it's just not true. And that's not how she is. And I'm like, first of all, I never named her not once. Um, and then of course, you know, you have all the mega huns that she's been in business with that are in all these, Oh, you must be doing something right. If somebody's talking about you like that and da, 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 da. And I'm like, and then she compared me to single white female, which I thought was really interesting. And I'm like, really? Because I got all kinds of messages up in my phone uh, and I have screenshots. I have all the receipts about how just terrible you were. I can, you know, have you talk to my husband who has told me since that every time she would call me, he wanted to tear the phone away from me and tell her to leave me alone. Um, you know, all those things. And it was like, all right, that's cool. Thanks for trying to like suck me back into the ether sphere of silence, but that's not going to work for me. Um, and then somebody was telling her I was using screenshots from her stuff. And I'm like, just cause you use copy pasta that I was actually able to get from somebody else in the same company you're in. Doesn't mean that I copied your stuff. Like I could care less about you in this moment. And then, um, 
the woman that had recruited her, that was her upline that became my second upline when she left the company, reached out for me. And she reached out for me on Facebook Messenger. She's like, hey, do you have time to talk? And I'm like, if you're going to tell me what a terrible human I am, I really don't want to have this conversation. I've done that enough this week. She and I were on the phone for about an hour and she was telling me about how she had no clue that that's how this woman was recruiting people and that she was disgusted by it. And that um, it was completely unacceptable to her that somebody would do that. And, and I've been very clear. The second upline I had, I still think she's an amazing human. I would love for her to get out at some point. I don't think that's going to happen because she's extremely can, reliant on the company at this point. Um, I watch it affect her mental health a lot. And I don't think she's putting the two and two together. But she's, she's still an amazing human. And I'm not going to disconnect from her on any level because she's never been anything but amazing to me. Um, and so like, she reached out for me. She's like, I can't believe they were doing that. And then she told me some more stories about the conflict that she had had with my recruiter and another woman in the company and the amount of bullying and mean girl stuff that they had put her through. And I got to have this really cool healing moment with somebody who was still in, who still believes in the, the, the company still believes in, you know, the cult leader of that company, like all of it. And, you know, be able to have that conversation and let her know whatever she needed, I'm here, right? Because we're still people at the end of the day. But yeah, it was, it was super interesting. And I haven't heard boo since then about any of it. So I'm like, that's cool. So the narrative is, is that I'm a psycho stalker and, <laughs> and yeah, you know, I, I do all of this just because of her. The narcissism because of me. is wild. Like the, the, the absolutist language, which we were just talking about on, on Instagram, the, the loaded language in all of her messaging that she's not like that, that you're the psycho, you're obsessed with her. You've created an entire YouTube channel about her, which is not true. It's like one or two videos of your entire channel. And it's the whole channel is about me. She created this for the exact purpose to just talk about me. And then is creating these friends only posts that you're blocked from where she's spreading misinformation about you, mm -hmm. but it just furthers your truth. Like, well, it's like, look, she's doing everything I said she does. Well, and it also like at one point in time, she views the classic MLM line. Well, she just had a bad experience. <laughs> but well, yeah, did. I did, didn't I? Cause you know. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I absolutely did. And um, because it was a bad experience, because it's a bad experience. I don't care who you are. It's a bad experience. And, um, and, she's and then it was perpetuating like, that bad experience through everyone and ignoring yeah. her part of, of it at all. Yes. And then the double speak, but her feelings are totally valid. I had a bad, right. she's like, she had a bad experience, but her feelings are totally valid. <laughs> she had a bad experience and that's her opinion and her experience but like it hasn't been my experience and it's not my opinion so like I just I just I mean I don't want to invalidate her while I invalidate her but like there's just really no way around it and it I mean it was it pardon the expression it was just a gigantic circle jerk of mega huns on that post and then she like you know but then what's funny is is like somebody was like I want to go look at her stuff blah, 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 blah. and I'm like yeah send them on over 
sure, send them over. Because this is the other thing, and this is what, what I think is interesting. And I, and I talk, I talk about this a lot in, in just in general is the fact that like, please come for me, please. I have a really thick skin. I have been bullied my entire life by bigger and badder. Like, please come for me, have the dialogue, come, come and put your energy at me because I can take it, number one. And number two, it means you're leaving somebody else alone who might not be able to take it. So come on. And I'll pathologize you and it'll be fun for me. I need to practice diagnosing. So please come for me. <laughs> and I'm also kind of a jerk. So like, there's that. Like, okay. Like, I mean, you, wanna... you know your truth. Like parents, I, I did a video about sobriety and one woman's like, well, if being sober means I have bags under my eyes, like you do, I don't want to get sober. And I'm like, well, that's cute. That's a cute look for you. Don't drink in, in comments. Like, come on now. Wow. <laughs> like that's Jeez. cool. You know, I don't sleep well and I have chronic illness, but thanks. Thanks for pointing out a piece of my physical appearance that really means nothing to anybody. It's ad hominem attacks. It's all they can do. They have nothing. They cannot come back from facts. You present them with facts. You're like, look, babe, like, this is just the fact. This isn't even my opinion. I mean, my opinion is the same, but it's the fact. And then they say their cognitive dissonance is like, bitch, that's a fact. And they're just like, well, you're ugly then. So I called somebody out for doing an ad hominem attack. And like, they clearly had no clue what that was because they then commented back like the correct spelling of homonym, which is like a, a word that sounds like a word. And I'm like, oh no, but thanks for playing. And it's a whole video about what an ad hominem attack is. Like y'all are just giving me content. Just keep coming. Especially on a week wow. when I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna talk about this week. I think I'll just take a break. And then somebody comes on, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> Welcome to wow. the playhouse. She's like, you spelled homonym wrong. So, and then the other thing that I, I don't know, like I've started, <laughs> I've started calling them all Attila. Attila the Hun. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm like, and you and I were talking, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to, I might have to change my name somewhere to, to be the Attila killer. Maybe we should just make some merch and put Attila Killa on a shirt. So let's get back on, on, on topic here. Cause we just, I love this. I'll um, never do that. <laughs> so your book, what for you, like, what was your driving force for just deciding I have to write this. I got to get this out right now. It's important that it's on like that it's available now. Like what was your driving force and motivation behind the speed of how fast this came out and, and, and just get that whole thing. So I had, I had been kicking it around in my head after the last time I was on your podcast. And, um, and then like in a lot of the anti MLM groups and a lot of the content, seeing people who were really struggling with some of these aspects and like hearing people talk and like being fresh and like being brand new out and like, sometimes not being greeted as well as they could be into the anti-MLM community. Um, you know, and understanding like just all the vulnerability underneath all of it. And then also knowing that there are not many therapists who specialize in helping people recover from being in high pressure groups. 
Um, and I'm one of them. Like I have that as one of my specialties because uh, I work a lot with people who are moving away from um, problematic religious indoctrination and have been harmed with spiritual abuse and that kind of thing. Um, plus working with people coming out of corporate America dynamics that are just completely unhealthy and coming out of abusive relationships. I work with a lot of people who are coming out of domestic violence situations. So it's like, okay, we have all these things and they all kind of come kind of clash in this multi-level marketing, right? You've got the high pressure group from above and then you have the almost DV relationship with people involved. And I'm like, okay, so let's, let's look at this and let's look at what would be needed to help people understand their grieving process, their trauma process, the emotions that they're actually feeling and labeling them. And what are the beliefs that I have about myself now that I'm walking away from this? And then what made me kind of put the gas pedal to it, and honestly, it came out a couple months earlier than I had planned. I wasn't planning for it to be out until January. Um, but when Lula Rich came out and I saw the amount of people that were speaking about not knowing and, and learning even just from the general talk about multi-level marketing that's done in there, um, not understanding and like, oh my gosh, this is this all these feelings and what does this look like and and those conversations were starting to be had at a larger pace and then I would go into because I'm a thrifter I would go into thrift stores and I would see more and more and more and more products coming from former reps of a bunch of different companies right like the the promo bags for different companies were showing up like in the purses section and like the clothing area and like t-shirts of companies right can't tell you how many t-shirts I've seen um for like corporate events for like the different companies especially because there's a couple that have headquarters here so I'm seeing their stuff too which is super fun thrift stores have become like MLM graveyards yes yes spring is in the air and with that comes spring cleaning especially those closets. I am beyond guilty of keeping pieces around that I no longer wear, I'm hoping to fit into again, or I just can't seem to get rid of for whatever reason my brain uses to justify the hanger space. But this year, I am implementing the one-year rule and spring cleaning my wardrobe with the help of Quince. As a sponsor of Life After MLM, shopping with Quince is a great way to support the show and get some cute new items to treat yourself once the purge is over too. Once you put your seasonal and holiday items in the back of the closet, it's time to purge what's left and see what can be donated and what needs to be retired for good. It's only then that you can organize your keepers and see where you can amp up your style for the coming year. And that's where Quince comes in. By partnering directly with top factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing, Quince cuts the cost out of the middleman and passes the savings onto us at 50 to 80% less than similar brands which means you can stretch your dollar and save on great staple pieces that will last through at least a few spring cleanings. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com MLM for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com MLM to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com MLM. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Um, but I was like, you know what? We have all these people that are getting the message now. We need to have something in place for them now, not in January after the Christmas cash cash in BS that they do is hit, right? No, now it needs to happen now. So I, I rushed it a little bit and, and I, I admit that, and there are some typos in it. So like, there's that cause it's self-edited. So like I'm a human, it happens. Um, but I wanted to have something out now. And then I'm working on some kind of supplemental stuff to go into some of the dynamics a little more in depth for people who've been out a little longer that are seeing some of these more lingering lasting effects. Um, because this does really, this one really does target more. It's fresh, it's new ish, right? Or I'm just now realizing that it's a problem or I've been looking at like, maybe I should do another company because my brain is still telling me this could work for me. Like that I'm the exception to every rule and I will win the lottery this time. Um, so that was kind of my main push was this idea that the movement has started to pick up some steam and we're getting a lot of people coming out and going, what now? What now? And not knowing how to talk to their therapist about what they've been doing or how to get therapy about this. So this helps identify some of those core issues that I can continue to work on. It's also, I mean, people that don't need that extensive therapy piece, but would like to have some, some reflection and some healing and some self-work, right? Like some answers to the hows and the whys. Mm-hmm. Right. And just that idea of spotting things and understanding things that you might not have been able to understand in the moment and really reflecting. Um, the, so it's, it, there's a Kindle version that's a little more condensed. Um, it's the same stuff. I just don't have the space in it. So if, if people are getting the Kindle version, you're going to need a journal to, to, to answer all the questions with it. And then I tried to put some empty blank spaces in the workbook. So there's lots of place for reflection and going more in depth on things. Um, because I feel like at some point in time, there has to be this free flow of your own ideas and thoughts about your experience. And what does this really mean? And, and how do I get help? How do I help? And I hate to say this, but how do I help my therapist who might not be aware of these issues? Um, especially because, and I want to be very clear and upfront with anybody, if you have a mental health professional who is trying to sell you something, you need to report them to their licensing board. If they are trying to sell you essential oils, if they are trying to sell you any kind of supplements, any of that business, and they are a licensed professional, an actual licensed professional, they need to be reported to their licensing board because it is a clear ethical violation of what they are there to help you do. Because I'm also seeing people pop up say, you know, my therapist has doTERRA. I'm like, oh, oh, you need to walk out of that office. Like today, say bye-bye. And and like understanding, because especially if they are pushing these things, they obviously, and, and the other piece too, is that there are a lot of people who parade as licensed professionals who are not. And that's not okay. absolutely wild. Um, I love the very first chapter of this book. My favorite. Uh, it's called, So You're Thinking About Leaving. It is a fantastic chapter for all of you who are on the fence just to work through. Like it literally is like, let's just look at what you're doing. Um, so there's this one part in here, um, it's called cost versus profits. And it's this 
this like table of things that would be extra costs. So many people are like, it only cost me $99 to join. Like, why are you such a hater? Like, that's not that much money. But then Megan has 28 different things that could be potential costs. And so I put myself, I went back four years. I put myself in that LuLaRoe mindset and I said, I'm going to check off these boxes. Well, Megan, how many boxes do you think I checked off? I'm going to bet all of them. No, no, actually. No, actually enough. maybe 27. Cause I don't know if you had an LLC. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you went that far. <laughs> um, I checked off 17 because a lot of these things I ended up doing myself. Like, mm -hmm. um, I didn't have to have any like disposable makeup brushes or anything for LuLaRoe and we didn't do samples and things like that, but you but, had to buy hangers, but I didn't have to buy hangers and I have all those things and like yeah. all these different things. Um, so many of these, so many of these, and a lot of them, like the promo photos, I, I did all that myself. So I didn't pay, mm -hmm. but it took my time and my energy. So I could have checked mm -hmm. it off professional photos. I did all my own things, but it's very interesting. New clothing and accessories, obviously. Um, so many things that you don't think about. I checked off 17, but if I were to put myself in just the MLM mindset, and think of the other MLMs that I had done, probably every single one of these would have been checked off. Well, and what's funny is, is that a lot of these are things that people don't think about and they're being told that they're tax write-offs and a lot of them are not. And if you do write them off on your taxes because you do them yourselves and you get audited, you're gonna be screwed because a lot of this stuff does not count. It does not count because it's not necessary to you performing your job duties as a sales rep. My it's favorite, not. my favorite part of the chapter is the very end. And it says moving on. And it's this little blurb at the bottom that is very important to read. And again, it is for those people that are on the fence. Okay. And it says, if you are still unsure, keep track of your profits and hourly wage, keep adding to your decisional balance, which was an, an activity in here, start asking questions. I mean, it really does. It says if even filling this out, you're still not ready. Just keep an eye on everything. Go back to the beginning of this chapter, continue to check off those boxes, add to those things until you see the shift. Mm -hmm. Because right now, maybe you're only seeing, well, I really only notice like one or two things that they talk about and it's not that much. But when you get into this workbook and you start to see those things, you're going to realize, oh my God, it's way more than just those one and two things that have connected to you. It's a lot. And this book, as it goes on, is so wonderful. Uh, um, leaving after MLM, the truth about multi-level marketing and all these different things, the value systems, uh, just self-awareness checks. It's just, it's so beautifully done. I love it. It's this wonderful buildup as you go through. It is so unbelievably amazing. And so I, I just think everybody needs to do this. Um, and I'm going to help out. We are going to have some giveaways of Megan's book in our Facebook group, Life After MLM, the group, which Megan is also one of my moderators. She's amazing. So maybe that you're like, Megan Williams, where do I know the name from? That's where you know the name from. Megan helps me in there. Please it's join the group. that's telling you to calm down. <laughs> Stop. Okay. Hello, it's okay. We got this. Um, so we're going to do some giveaways in there for this book. I, I just think it's so amazing. And I want to get this book in as many hands as possible. So I'm going to help a couple of you get one. 
uh, and save you some money. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, all that stuff. Um. <laughs> um, the other thing I want to point out in that first chapter, so like a lot of people who are already out will skip it, which is fine. But there are two pages in there where I outline what's called the stages of change. And I think it's really important for people to understand how we as human beings make our change process. And where this will also come into play is, is if you are dealing with somebody who is still in, understanding where they exist in those stages of change. Because when somebody is in what we call pre-contemplative, we used to call it being in denial, but denial is actually a brain mechanism that protects you from information that your brain can't handle. It is not a conscious process. Pre-contemplation is when I don't believe that what I'm doing is a problem. I don't see any issues with what's going on. I'm not thinking about making any changes to my life. I'm still fully invested with where I'm at. And when you're dealing with somebody who is pre-contemplative, you will not change their mind. What has to happen is there has to be some kind of activating event, some kind of what we call a crisis, but it doesn't have to be necessarily be inherently bad. But something major has to happen to make this person start thinking that maybe they need to make a decision. And even the next stage of change is I'm thinking about making a decision. I haven't made the decision to make a decision, right? So like a lot of people, when they're in those first two stages of change, they're very resistant to people coming at them with a battering ram. These are the people that like I use for examples for why they're using techniques taught to them by indoctrination, right? I'm not expecting to change their mind by responding to their comment. I'm using it as an education moment to show other people why this is ridiculous, right? And then at the end, and, and I want to read this, um, this piece, I don't normally read out loud, but I'm going to read this piece. It's the very end of that. Um, one thing that is important to remember, it is okay to be in one stage of change with part of a lifestyle change and in a completely different stage of change with another part. For instance, being in preparation and action about leaving the MLM company, but being contemplative about cutting off contact with individuals who may not be supportive of that decision or pre-contemplative about wanting to continue using products, but contemplative about no longer being a representative and moving to buying from a friend instead. This process is personal for each individual and not everyone will go through it the same way. Take your time, make the best decision for your life goals and values. There are people that are going to continue to use these products because they don't understand that the business model isn't about the products because they don't think like a sociopathic scammer. They are going to continue to use these products. So what we do is we provide them with other avenues to buy those products if they want to without feeding into the system or causing more damage to the person that they're ordering from. Right. There are people in the group that talk about, well, I still make money off of my MLM, even though I don't promote it. I don't use it anymore, but I still get this residual check income. OK, cool. I'm never going to tell you not to take free money. Like, I'm not going to do that. That's not what's best for my life. That's what's best for your life. And if you get that $50 check every month and that buys you, you know, dance lessons for your kid or, you know, pays for gas in your vehicle. OK. We need to make sure and, 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 you know, as a community that we understand that not everybody is going to be an abstinence only version of anti MLM. Right. Being anti MLM is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. I'm right. at the very end of the spectrum. Where I'm like, mm, no, 
but it's a spectrum. You don't always have to be like 100% anti-MLM. It's okay. Like we don't want to feed into the system. Like you said, Ah, but Um, there's people that'll tell me like, but I still love LuLaRoe. And I'm like, then shop from the people that are going out of business or buy them at the thrift stores. They're like, I'm at the thrift store too. You're going to get a much better deal. I've been told that they're back in some of the super discount stores again, like Marshall's and stuff like that. Like go for it, whatever. Like go on Mercari in the U.S. is an app where you can buy stuff like garage sale style and you can buy, it can be slightly used, whatever. It's a great place to get a discount on pretty much everything. You can tell who the active reps are who are actually selling their stuff against their company's policies and procedures because you're not supposed to sell on a third-party site. I'm looking at you, Senegens reps. Um, <laughs> sorry, I read the policies and procedures of companies like across the board and I'm, I'm always amazed at people that haven't read their own and like how do you not know this is in your policies and procedures I didn't even sign up for your company and I know it's there but that's cool um you know th- there's all of that and I'm very open I have the Disney villains Sensi warmer and I am not giving it up until it breaks because Maleficent is my like other half I am a Disney villain I got it for free somebody gifted it to me you, you don't know that it's sensi unless you're like a sensi, like, oh my God, it's sensi, it's sensi, it's sensi person. Like nobody knows. I don't care. It's flipping cool and I'm keeping it. <laughs> Hi, I have a sensi warmer that I like too. It's got this like starburst design when you turn it on. This like mercury glass, glass it's really cool. But yeah, I'm, I, I put other warmers yes. or other wax out now. I buy from I support, independent wax makers now. Absolutely. I support small business. I support ex-huns. I'm like, oh, you sell wax? Hook me up. Right. Totally. Absolutely. It's so fun. Um, I did want to circle back to stage two because there's something I want to talk about here. So stage two is contemplation. Mm-hmm. My note I wrote, I wrote next to each one. I wrote a little note of how I felt that stage was. And next mm-hmm. to contemplation, I wrote quote on the fence. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel, right? You're on the fence. You're not yep. sure. And you talk about this activating event and that activating event can look like so many different things from people. Mm-hmm. So let's you and I maybe give a couple examples of what an MLM activating event might look like to somebody who's listening, who hasn't put two and two together yet. So an activating event may be um, knowing that you are doing everything that you've been told to by an upline. You are replicating everything and you are still not making money or still not recruiting. It might look like them asking you to sacrifice participating in a life event that means something to you that they tell you isn't as important as. It could be your kid coming up to you and asking you to get off your phone. I've heard a lot of people talk about that, that their children asking to spend more time with them has been crucial to them understanding like, oh, I did this so I could spend time with my kids and I'm not spending any time with my kids. That was one of my activating events. I remember I was, it was in the living room, it was the middle of summer, it was hot as hell. And we're in the living room with the AC cranked and I've got mannequins and lights and a backdrop and a pile of clothes. And I'm dressing this mannequin and taking photos and my kids are like can we please go swimming and I just was like what am I doing another activating event which I'm sure every single one of us has experienced is sitting on a launch waiting for a new product to come up promising all of your 
people that you're going to get them that warmer, that wax, that Carly, that lipstick color, banking everything on it and getting nothing. And then being told, well, it's not going to break your business or, well, not everybody gets everything. And these loaded language, thought terminating cliches that make you feel ungrateful for not getting the thing that they promised you, you would get. I saw one the other day and I, and I don't know if it was a, I, I want to believe that it was a parody video, but I don't think it was. Um, there was a woman that did a TikTok video about um, earning her car bonus and then not being able to sign the loan because the loan officers did not recognize multi-level marketing as a legitimate stream of income to support the loan. Well, yeah, I hear that all the time. Isn't that wild? Someone oh, made a I, video about it? Yeah. And she's like dancing about how she didn't get the loan. So I'm hoping it's a parody. I'm hoping to God it's a parody, but everybody's presenting it like it's an actual thing. And I'm like, if that's, if she's dancing like that, because she got denied a loan, like we got problems. Okay, okay. So you and I were talking earlier before we hit record about dream boards and then results boards, which I had never heard of before. Uh, and so I want you to talk to us about results boards and how we can implement a results board into our MLM leaving journey. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to start by talking about why I don't like vision boards, um, why I don't like them. So first of all, they are steeped in this law of attraction manifestation thing. And most of the time what we put on those vision boards are, are material items like houses and cars and money and all these things right maybe a destination that i want to go to but for the most part they are steeped in that toxic positivity they're steeped in these things that instead of working for it or building a plan to get to that place you know um I, i'm putting this up on this thing and i'm going to look at it every day and i'm going to you know because a lot of a lot of multi-level marketing companies use vision boards as a way to manipulate you and to keep you buying in, right? And that's right. part of why they do the car bonus because most people say they want a really nice car. They want a luxury vehicle. So like, it makes sense. So I don't like them. And I, and, I, and I really like telling people to build what I call a results board. So if uh, I'm working with a client who is working towards their goals, I will have them put out things onto their board of things that, that they already have or things that they have gotten based off of the change that they made in their life, right? So um, if, you know, I've left my multi-level marketing company because I realize I want to spend more time with my family, my results board will be pictures of me with my family and print it out, right? We leave everything on digital mediums anymore and it doesn't have its effectiveness. Like, yeah, I can scroll through my photos, but if I put them somewhere that I can see them, um, one of the things that I have people do, and, it, and there's an exercise in the book on affirmations, which a lot of people are like, affirmations are hooey. I'm like, you know what? It does help rewire your brain. The way I work with affirmations is you write them on a sticky note and you put them on your mirror because you're going to see them and you're going to read them to yourself every day. And when they start to lose their impact, then you change them out. You put new ones up there. Um, but like, you know, when we talk about what are the things that I'm working towards, it could be like you were sharing with me about getting these letters from people that are talking about how impactful the work you've been doing has been printing those out and putting them up somewhere so I can read them and see them. And, and, 
you know, having that pile up. So when I have that one person that wants to tell me what I'm doing is terrible and I'm this horrible person for doing it and I'm destructive and I hate women and all that other BS that is not true. I can look at my results board and say, you know what? I have a hundred letters here that tell me how I helped this person figure out something different. If it's, you know, I want to start my own business and then I take the steps to start my own business, every step of that way, I'm going to put the results on that cork board or on that wall, right? So if I file for my LLC, I'm going to put a copy of my LLC paperwork up on the wall. I'm going to put the product that I put out. I'm going to put a printout of my first sale on my wall, right? Like the first receipt, whatever. I'm going to start building this idea of this is what I've worked towards. And this is where I'm going. And this is what feeds me because this is what I've been doing versus, hey, it might be really cool if I get this one thing someday. Like, why don't I look at what I've already got and what I'm already doing? Right? I absolutely love that. So like I've got ADHD and for me, like that's like the visual representation of crossing things off my list mm-hmm. to be like, look, I did it. And here's mm-hmm. the proof. And to stick it on my results board, I love the idea. When you said that, I was like, oh my God, that is so much better than any ridiculous dream or vision board that is 100% steeped in materialization of things and stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely materialistic. Absolutely. And, and kind of the low key way to do it. And this is, this is honestly one of the ADHD hacks I have too for folks. Um, I Buying the, the post-it notes. And if you have a task, you write one task on one post-it note, and then you can write the next task on the next post-it note. So you don't even have to look at a list because looking at a list gets kind of overwhelming at times. When I have just one thing that I'm focusing on and I finish that, I can take that off of my sticky note pile and I can put it on my results board or I can throw it away if I'm just that person that needs to have the ability to throw stuff away. But that way, all I'm focused on is what's on top of my pile. I don't have to look at all the other things that might make me want to quit or might make me feel overwhelmed. I'm just going to look at that. I'm going to like today, my, my top of my page is to take the day off and spend time with my kids. Okay. And then after my day is done, I can tear it off and throw it up on my wall and be like, I spent the day with my kid, the whole day with my kid. Or I spent the whole day binge watching that TV show that I never watched because watching television isn't an income producing activity. There's no PV in TV. (laughs) Okay. But there's a lot of mental health in television. (laughs) I was going to say it. I'm, you know what? I was watching the Golden Girls before we hopped on. That's one of my comfort shows and I watch it constantly because it's great. Like, you can't tell me that that doesn't help me be a better person. Like, cause it does. <laughs> I absolutely have my mental health shows that I'm like, I'm going to sit here and eat lunch. I'm going to take 30 minutes. I'm going to sit here, close whatever it is I'm doing, open up Netflix. And I'm going to watch a 30 minute episode while I enjoy whatever it is I've decided to have for lunch. I never did that before ever. I was always eating lunch, watching a zoom or like, you know, working through eating pretzels instead. And now I actively decide I'm going to take 30 minutes. I'm hungry. I'm going to make something and I'm going to enjoy like an episode of Rick and Morty or like Bob's Burgers, something like that. that just takes me out of reality and makes me laugh. So I can just enjoy like laughing is the best, literally the best medicine for me. And it's important to take breaks, no matter what you're doing in life, right? To give yourself that time to reset and not 
for people that, that work a legit job, not eating at your desk, like and working through or checking my email on my phone real quick. Like, no, a break is a break. And leaving the area where you just got done spending the majority of your day and giving yourself different scenery or different light or different air, even if you have to go sit in your car for 30 minutes, like for real, we all need to give ourselves that reset. It's there for a reason. And it's the reason why it's legal that they have to give it to us. Like we should take it. I book out an hour, at least an hour a day for my lunch break every day. And when clients are like, well, the only time I can come in is I'm like, sorry, like I, nope, nope. That's my time. Yeah. Boundaries. Amazing. Boundaries are important too. They so are. everybody's homework is to create a results board for themselves. Make a little space on your wall, get yourself a little cork board at the dollar store, whatever you need to do. Get some post-it notes and put them up there and, and see your accomplishments every day and be proud especially when those naysayers in your MLM are like you can look at that board and be like look at all the stuff I have accomplished since leaving where I don't have someone controlling my time and my energy and where my money goes like oh my god I read a book yes even that (laughs) like oh my god I finished squid game and put that up there and be like look what I got to do in my time freedom yes absolutely um Okay. So we're going to, we're going to go down a little MLM stuff right now uh, because Miss USA just announced that their uh, makeup partnership is going to be with Cinegens and you're my Cinebabe. So we're going to have to <laughs> talk about this, Megan. It's so funny, right? Like I'm, I was a makeup hun. People that know me just know like how ridiculous it is. I, so my, my alter ego on my, on my TikTok is, is that I'm a trash goblin because I always end up on there with no makeup and my hair is a hot mess wearing some random t-shirt. Like the days that I do stuff where like I've been working and I have makeup on and I did my hair are totally different, but there are days when I wake up with these like ideas and I'm like, look at me, I'm an unwashed trash goblin. This is what's happening. I mean, that's uh, my vibe too. So I totally get it. So yeah. So from what I gathered and I looked at like the, the leadership training things and um, so yes, they are the official sponsor of Miss USA and Miss Teen USA. So what that means is, is that they paid more money than any makeup company to get exclusivity for the contestants for Miss USA and Miss Teen USA. What I think is interesting though, is that I I think Miss Teen USA is first. Um, So both of them are being held in Oklahoma this year, which makes sense because that's where Senegence is founded. And Joni has bought up pretty much an entire town in Oklahoma at this point. Yeah. Sepulpa, is that that what it is? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's her hometown. Um, And and yeah, so she's bought up a lot of the historical buildings. Almost all of the downtown is now owned by her. She sold her or selling her house in California in order to build a bigger ranch in Oklahoma. So everything will be in Oklahoma. Um, they are very friendly politically to Senegens at this point. Do you um, think they'll change the name of Oklahoma to Cinehoma? Oh, jeez, no. God, I hope not. Oaklandens. <laughs> they went Oaklandens. <laughs> I mean, they might change their official state color to royal blue leopard print, like everything that is Senegens. Um, because. You know, and it's it, like she opened up a boutique to sell the Senegens line of clothing, which is all really ugly. 
<laughs> it's just all really ugly and and I just find that appalling but whatever um yeah so essentially they they paid and and the new owner of the Miss USA pageants is this um is a former Miss USA herself and um I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in time she was a rep um but I, I do find it interesting the only people I'm seeing posting about using the products are the Miss Teen USA contestants I haven't seen any Miss USA contestants saying about using it yet and I'm pretty sure that's because they all prefer professional makeup and not stuff that's going to give you a chemical burn and that's my other issue, right? And this is going to be what's funny is, is that depending on your body chemistry, so their flagship product is the lipstick, the lip sense, depending on your body chemistry, that lipstick can last four to 18 hours. First of all, that's insane. Anything that stays on my body that long is a problem, but there are going to be women who are short wear, or they're going to come out and their lips are going to be blistered because of this product. Or I don't know, they're going to see that stuff does run because it does run. And, and I just, I, I'm like, you know what? I want to know how much she paid for that because they had to have paid a bunch for that. But I mean, they've got it because they've shelled out over $5 million in political contributions in the last four years. So I'm also interested in like maybe any contracts that the consultants had to sign is like an NDA that there's no disparagement to the product in case they have an adverse reaction to the lipstick or blistering or anything like that. I I guarantee that they're going to be contestants that are not using it and that they aren't allowed to say that they're not using it because Mary Kay did it a few years ago. Like Mary Kay was the official makeup a few years ago, they paid for that sponsorship. So it's not something that they decided because, oh, Sunagins is an amazing product. They paid for it. And I don't think people understand that, right? When when you have like Christina Aguilera came out talking about one of the colors that she really liked at one point in time, she was paid. She was paid to do that. Gwen Stefani only performed for their company because she was paid. Yeah, I mean, if it's a sponsorship, yeah, it's, it's a sponsorship. It's, yeah. It's an ad. It's an advertisement. It's like Budweiser sponsoring the Super Bowl. It's right. that's all it is. It's they have paid for the privilege to provide free product to all the contestants so that all the contestants will wear it and they'll be like, oh look, it's so great. Blah blah blah. I'm kind of like Joni is really big in the DSA. She does a lot of work for them. Um, I'm kind of curious though if she is not looking at launching a product line in legit stores because of the way that she's buying up the downtown and Sepulpa and opening up the, the fashion boutique and all of those things. I'm curious if she's trying to break some storefronts. Do you think there's going to be a Senna store in her Senna town? <laughs> Probably. There'll be a Senna disaster. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a sponsorship. It's paid. It's an advertisement. It's yeah. not a, an assessment of quality because every year it's a different company. And 
we have to be reminded that Miss USA is extremely multi-level marketing friendly because it used to be owned by the granddaddy of all multi-level marketing promoters, Donald Trump. Oh, that's right. So yeah, yes. no, it all makes sense. Because the Miss USA scandals, right? Like how he would be in the changing rooms. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. So there's Maybe. that. Yeah. So like we have to understand that it's also, it's not Miss America. It's not Miss World. It's it's a company. It's, it's a company because Miss USA is a company. It is a company that has always been multi-level marketing friendly um, because, you know, they all take their money from anybody because let's face it, it's again, that false feminism right? It goes hand in hand, false feminism. We're going to call it a scholarship program. And yet, you know, the only qualification is you have to look good in a swimsuit. Yeah. Like, cool. It's not like, surprising I'm to me that a, that a brand and a company that is so hyper fixated and hyper focused on appearance and looks would, you know, just be part of this false feminism and this MLM industry that promotes that and uh, it, it all goes hand in hand well I think we may have talked about it last time but like I'm very vocal about you know one of the ways that multi-level marketing hooks people is with this grandiose myth right so Lula Rich it's Deanne in the money shower right Gary Young it's you know that he cured whatever with his stuff yeah like he, he cured his paralysis with his yes that's what it is fasting. his paralysis of course um you know with with Senegent, Joni's big myth is that she started the company when she was a single mother fresh from a divorce and all she asked for was custody of her kid and all she had in her pocket was seven dollars and that's how Senegence was born. And I'm like, but you were a Mary Kay rep. So if multi-level marketing is really that lucrative, shouldn't you have been rolling in it? <laughs> she's like, I was so broke, you guys. I was a Mary Kay rep. But she's very big on, I only had $7 in my pocket when I walked away from that marriage. That's, that's the MLM myth, right? The story that's larger than life that makes you want to put this person on a pedestal for whatever it is that they've accomplished, how they've pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. And look, there are a lot of single moms out there doing a lot of really amazing things, walking away from bad relationships. And I salute every single one of them. I salute her if she was walking away from a bad relationship and all she wanted was custody of her kid. That's amazing. The problem is, is that her kid is one of her executives now. It's that idea that like, there are amazing women who do amazing things all the time. There are women that walk away from bad relationships with nothing but the clothes on their back. And they don't get lauded and praised. They get told, well, why would you leave? They get told, no, you can't have housing. Now I'm on a soapbox because I really have a problem. <laughs> but it's this myth and it's like, you know, cool. If you would have, if you would have just built a makeup company that you could have sold in stores and legitimately done and had this amazing product that was going to be life altering then sell it a legitimate way why are you now using that as a way to connect with other single moms to con them out of their money absolutely i always say that too i'm like if you really genuinely believe your mission statement which is helping mothers and you know all the things that these mlms promise if you really genuinely believe that why are you saying that this is the way to make money when 99.7% of people lose. Like 
those two cannot be mutually exclusive. Like they're complete opposites of each other. Oh, just so you know, I was informed, I was schooled by somebody in a multi-level marketing company that that number is no longer relevant because it's over 10 years old and that guy died anyway. So his number shouldn't count. Right. Yeah. Because he's dead. That means all of his science is negated because he's dead. So that means Isaac Newton and the law of gravity, that doesn't exist anymore. Darwinism, none of that exists because all those people are dead. Marie Curie, penicillin, all of that stuff, it doesn't work anymore because those people died and how dare they die? That means their science is dead with them. I guess that means Scientology is over then too. One would hope. Actually, doesn't, doesn't, like, isn't there a thing is like he lives on a planet somewhere? No, no, that's Mormonism. He's back. They're just waiting for him to um, come of age and show up. Is he hanging out with JFK Jr.? (laughs) Yes, he actually is the drummer for the Rolling Stones. You didn't know. But yes, L. Ron Hubbard is the drummer for the Rolling Stones. Well, that explains why Keith Richards is still alive. They're going to be- No, see, JFK Jr. is Keith Richards. And Mick Jagger is Michael Jackson. And they're all hiding. Um, That's, yeah. That was with the JFK Jr. coming back to be Donald Trump's running mate. Look, look, I, the mass hysteria that has been happening recently, and, and especially so like, and, and when you and I would kind of talk, you know, the, the black oxygen organic stuff, I have been concerned about the mental health of those people from the beginning that I became aware of them. And I heard about Boo like three or four years ago. I did. I heard about the supplements when they first came out and I didn't know what they were and I didn't know it was a multi-level marketing company. It was whatever. But as I started watching these people and the look in their eyes and the people that came off of medications that they never should have come off of. There were people that clearly came off of mental health meds that they needed to stay on. And I've watched this mass hysteria and conspiracy theory stuff happening and group think happen like no other with that company. And I am so glad that they are no longer a thing at this point, because I was genuinely concerned for some of the folks that I was seeing. And, and I, I just, I was really, really, really concerned and still am. I'm still seeing some people that are like cult heavy for them. Um, Yeah, that well, like the health and wellness cults, um, it's wild. I'm like a supplement is supposed to be supplemental, not your entire life and personality. Like if you want to use a supplement, that's fine. But like, stop acting as if it's the answer to everything. Like there's nothing to back up your claims and you're being dangerous. Well, and, and the other piece too is this, like, and, and, and the supplement industry is a whole other ball of wax, right? Um, season two of the dream. If y'all haven't listened to it, you should, cause it's important. Um, if you are not low in something, adding more of it to yourself does nothing for you. Your body can only process so much. And, and here's the other piece. And this is something that I want to be very clear about especially with folks that might be struggling with some depression and major anxiety, especially around leaving their companies. If your body couldn't produce insulin and your doctor told you you needed to take insulin, you'd probably take insulin, right? Because it'd save your life. If your brain is not producing the chemicals that it needs to produce to maintain a level of acceptable dopamine, serotonin, if it's overproducing, you know, if it doesn't produce enough GABA, whatever, taking store created chemically created chemicals to re-establish stability in your brain chemistry should happen if you can't make your own store-bought is okay 
Are there other ways to deal with it? Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of people that struggle. They're like the stigma around mental health meds. You know what? You can be on it for six months and come off. It doesn't have to be a lifetime thing. But if you're in that place and you're struggling and your brain is essentially trying to kill you, then you need to do something about it. Like it's okay. It's okay. When it comes especially to mental health meds, it's because people don't want to be viewed as crazy, damaged, or bad. And the reality is, is that the brain is an organ, just like any other organ in your body. And sometimes it doesn't work the way that it's supposed to, or the way that it was designed to, which means that we need to give it a little bit of help. And Therapy is amazing and it can help combat and understand symptom cycling and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, I can't reproduce chemicals in somebody's brain. And trauma actually creates neurodivergency because it changes the brain chemistry. And it creates an overactive fight or flight that, yes, I can help shut down with therapeutic techniques, but there are some symptoms that will always remain for people. I have an exaggerated startle response. It will never go away. I've done extensive work with a therapist on my own issues. If somebody, I get jumpy. It's just a thing that will never go away for me because my fight or flight, it, it gets a little bit hair triggery with things because it's supposed to, it's built for my survival. And I've had enough threats to my survival that it activates. I laugh at myself because it's ridiculous. I jump at the same spot in movies I've seen over and over and over again. But we, as, as a general population, struggle to, and this is also why people struggle to come forward. I don't want to admit that I got scammed because that means I'm stupid. Well, no, it just means they're that good. It just means that they're that good. They've been practicing what they're doing for decades. And if you didn't know, then you don't know. And, yeah. and we just need to get over ourselves in this appearance of pseudo whatever and just be okay with just being like, you know what? Yeah, my brain doesn't work the way that it, it was developed to. Okay, guess what? They have a way to fix that for me so that I can be just like everybody else. But then why would I want to be like everybody else? Because there's only one of me and I was built this way for a reason. Absolutely. I love this conversation. Um, I, and that I love that we have conversations like this in the Facebook group. I love that you're a part of the Facebook group. Um, if you guys are just finding out about the Facebook group and you want to be a part of these conversations and even more conversations where we talk about this stuff and it's a safe space and it's okay if you're in an MLM, as long as you don't get culty, that's really the only rule is don't be culty. Don't try to recruit. Don't try to sell. That's not what we're there for. Um, you know, and, and, and understanding that like, we, we, there's only a couple of us that are moderating. So yes, guess what? While I'm sleeping, no, I'm not monitoring the content because I'm sleeping. Um, but if you, if there's something that comes up and you're a part of the group and it feels unsafe, flag it, report it to, you know, you can do the report to admin. Yeah. Don't report to Facebook, report to the admins. Cause if you report to Facebook, it gets zucked. Um, enough complaints to Facebook and they deactivate the group for those of you that don't know that term. Um, and then if you do feel like it's your job to, or you want to address somebody who might be um, presenting in a, in a not, a way that is not in the spirit of the group, please do so with kindness, compassion, and respect. Because at the end of the day, they, everybody's still people and everybody still deserves our respect. 
And this isn't a bashing group. This isn't a shameless group. This is a, you know what, we're here because we all want to learn how to heal from these things. And some people are at the beginning of their journey. And if the first thing they encounter is a bunch of people being ruthless assholes, like they're going to stay stuck. That's not how we confront what's going on, you know? And, and at the end of the day too, like if, if people are having a moment, they can message me. I mean, it's clear in the group that I'm a moderator. You can message me. It might sit in my message request for a hot second because I always forget to check those. Um, <laughs> but you can message me, you can ask me and you can like have that dialogue, but we just need to be mindful of the mission of what's happening here is that we're supposed to create a safe space. If you want to be in a bashing group, there are plenty of those. There so are plenty many. of those. And I have extricated myself from a bunch of them because I don't like the way that people talk to each other at all. Like in general, it's just rude. Like, why are we being rude? Aren't we now just as bad as the people that we don't like? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's And that's where I find the quote unquote culty side of anti-MLM is is the ganging up and the mean girl on the other side. And sometimes it's like people that have, have no skin in the game at all. They're like, I'm so smart. I always knew this. It's that sort of attitude that I'm just like, ew, why are you like this? These people need our help. You don't need to be rude just because you know more and you're not ignorant to certain things. Why don't you use your time and energy to educate people and help people? I see sometimes comments, not in our group, but like, in, in the groups that I've been in where someone will ask a question, you know, they're like, I just left this MLM. I have a question. And people are like, it's not my place to educate you. And I'm just like, that is the wrong thing to say to somebody who's asking for help. Well, and I think the rule needs to be, if you don't agree with what somebody's saying, or you don't have anything to input, then don't, don't talk about it. Like if I don't have experience with what you're asking about, you know what? I don't comment. It's Unlocked. literally the MLM equivalent of being like reading a recipe and then the comments that are like, but I don't like pecans. It's like, right. cool, then put walnuts in instead. It's, it's my favorite when people like, uh, you know, on certain platforms will be like, they'll just comment like, why are you, why are you on my FYP? Why, why am I seeing you? Why is this happening? Like, I don't know what your algorithm looks like. <laughs> right. I'm like, clearly you need to see it. Are you in an MLM? Maybe that's why you're seeing this. I'm like, so maybe like. I don't know, don't comment on my stuff because then you're just going to get more of it. <laughs> but like, I, yeah, I just, the rules of the Facebook group are just super simple. Be respectful, be kind. Remember that you've probably done some cringy things that you're ashamed of inside or outside of multi-level marketing because none of us has lived a perfect existence and you don't know somebody's story beyond what they've given you to, to know. And I think that's, that's the biggest piece for like humanity in general. We don't know what other people have gone through. We don't know what their life has looked like before our interactions with them. We don't know what happens when we're not with them. So like, we really don't have a place to come from other than curiosity. What I want to see out of the growth of the group and the growth of the community that surrounds this podcast and the education and compassion-based anti-MLM movement going forward is like, I want to see us helping others achieve that results board. Mm -hmm. yeah. that's, that's the coolest thing. I love getting the messages from people saying, 
this helped me. This episode helped me. I met Megan through your episode and Megan helped me, or I found this person through this. Like it's all connected and we're all here to help you. And I will scoot over and add as many chairs to that table as we possibly can, because the more the merrier and everyone is welcome in this. And this journey is just starting. And I'm so excited to have people like you with us here, helping us learn and educate and grow every single day results board all the way I want to see your guys results boards tag me in them it's so exciting I think that might be one of the ways that we do one of the giveaways Ooh, okay (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna brainstorm some ways to do some fun giveaways to get you guys a copy of Megan's workbook because again it's just brilliant I'm still working through mine but I will say as someone who's been out for four years it's even helpful because I'm noticing patterns and going, oh my God, look. And it's it's really important, I think, to just even see it on paper and mm-hmm. to go back and look at your progress and then maybe finish the workbook. You just left MLM this week. You get the workbook, you fill it out, save it, write the date on it, come back a year later and read your answers and see how far you've grown even then. Yeah. And, and understanding that it can be replicated across every company if you're one that's been in many like all you can do is go back and do it in different colors. Like this is my color for Modere and this is my color for It Works and this is my color for Optavia, whatever, right? Like understanding that it can be replicated across the board and it's not, yes, it's about leaving the companies, but it's also about rediscovering who you are and what makes you a badass, right? Because we are all badasses in our own right. And, and, you know, it's, it's that deal. And, and I try to keep cost at a, at, at a reasonable place so that it wouldn't be prohibitive, but also so that I could pay like my graphic designer and, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Right. Like I still, hey. I, I get a royalty. I don't get all of the money. So like, here's me validating you, you put in the time to get your education you put in the time to be passionate about this through your own anecdotal experiences and your professional experiences. And you created a workbook for others to get out of this. So you can charge money for this. You put in time, effort, energy, and you're an ex-hun with your own small business doing your thing. And we're going to support you because we love you, Megan. And it is amazing. Uh, you know, it will not I, break the bank. And if you need a free one, yeah. come see us in the group. We've got, we're going to be giving away a, a, a yeah. few of them. Yes. And, and the ones that we give away in the group, I will sign. Not that my signature means anything. <laughs> that I, I'm going to enter that giveaway. I want to sign copy. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, you're incredible. This book is incredible. If you guys want to pick it up, I've got the, the link in the show notes and you can grab it there. Thank you so much, Megan, for Thank everything you. you have done, are doing, and will continue to do, not only for the community, but for our group as well. I, I am so appreciative of you, and I love you so much. Thank you so, you so, 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 so much for being a part of this with me. It's a massive honor for me. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and share with all of your anti-MLM friends as well. 
See you next time.